So wait, Tamanis. It's your host, Miggy Seguros, back for the fastest 10 minutes in education and giving you the only excuse you have for wearing earbuds in the middle of class. Today we're diving into the Aeneid, Book 1, Lines 1-7, through 7, and we'll be discussing it as well as talking about perfect passive participles as the grammar of the week. This episode is slightly shorter than most will be, just getting the lay of the land and making sure that we give the opening of the Aeneid its proper due. And a quick programming note, make sure you look out for episodes this week on the Aeneid and Virgil, as well as on Dactylic Hexameter and Scansion, to give you some of the background as we dive into the Aeneid. So without any further ado, let's dive in. Yay! The Aeneid Book 1, Lines 1-7 through seven. Arma verumque cano, Troiae qui primis aboris, Italian fato profugis, Leviniaque venit, Litera, Motte letteris jactatis et otto, Vi supurum saevae memorum unonis abiram, Motte quoquet bello passus, Dum condret urbum, Inferitque deos latio, Genes unde latinum, Albini quae patres, at quotae moenia Romae. Virgil starts his epic poem stating he's going to sing of arms and of the man. I want to point out this is one of the rare times we'll see the first person singular, Cano, being used. Otherwise, most of the story is going to be third person. And right away we see something particularly Virgilian. Troia qui prima saboris, Italiam, fato profugus, laviniaque, venit, litera. We'll oftentimes see Virgil delay either a preposition or, in this case, a relative pronoun in order to fit the meter. We would expect this to say, qui troiae primus, not troiae qui primus. And that's something we're going to get used to while we read the Aeneid. So we describe this man, who is first from the shores of Troy, having been driven by fate, and the first to come to the Lavinian shores. A good clarification, because we will find other Trojans already in Italy by the time Aeneas gets there. And we say that guy has been tossed around much, both on land and by sea. We see the at at of both and. And we see the use of altum representing the sea as the deep. We'll also see Virgil refer to the sea as Icor, Mare, Pelagus, Pontus, Sal, and Salum. And we see him being tossed around, yactatus vi superum, by the power, force, or violence of the superi, the uppers being the gods in this case. Saevae memorum unonis abiram, on account of the mindful anger of savage Juno. Notice the transferred epithet where memorum is agreeing with iram in case number and gender, but really it's Juno who's remembering and not the anger itself. Ulta quoquet bello passus. Again, we have a participle driving this sentence, and at first blush, passus looks like a perfect passive participle, but since it comes from the verb patior, pati, passasum, which of course is a deponent, it's actually a perfect active participle, having suffered much. Multa here is a substantive, also in war, bello. Dum condorat urbum inferitque deus latio until he would found a city and he would bear his gods to Latium, the region in which Rome's at. And this doom clause followed by the subjunctives is setting up that all these things will happen until this point comes to pass, which we know and we'll find out later on is fated to happen. Genus unde Latinum, from where the Latin people. And I want to point out here again that unde being delayed is very Virgilian and, and very typical of Latin poetry. Virgil's going to feel free to delay prepositions 
or even adverbs in this case, in order to help the meter work out. Albinique patres. And this Albini patres we're referring to are the Roman fathers. Atque altai moenia Romae. And the walls of high Rome. I want to point out here again a transferred epithet. We would normally suspect that the walls themselves would be altai. However, Virgil has altai no Romae agree in case number and gender. There's a number of theories about this and some of them are slightly interesting and you can look more into them as you want. However, we can just recognize that Virgil's playing with the poetry here and he's raising up the status of Rome, both with this poem and with these opening lines. And there we have it, the opening lines of the Aeneid. And I want to point out a few things here. First off, we have yet to name Aeneas because, well, Protagonists are nowhere near as interesting as antagonists, and we've already introduced our antagonist, Juno. Next, I want to draw our attention back to the verb kondret in line 5, which in this sense means to found, as in the urbum that we mentioned earlier. This city itself, of course, is not Rome. It's going to be the city that leads to the people that lead to the people that lead to the people that lead to Rome 300 years later. However, that verb is very interesting, and we may have a chance to see this one day, maybe not, at the very end of the Aeneid, we see that verb pop up again, because kondret can mean to establish, it also can mean to hide, and it can also mean to bury. As in, if you were to bury a sword into the chest of your mortal foe, and thus winning the hand of your bride, who you stole away from your mortal foe, and thus fulfilling everything that was foretold in the prophecy, and going ahead with the historical process, at that point, kondret would be a verb you get to use twice, both for founding a city and for bearing a sword in the chest of your mortal foe. And there we'll leave the introduction before we get to the invocation of the muse beginning on line 8, which we'll pick up next week, and find out why Juno is so mad at the Trojans and Aeneas in particular. Stay tuned. After a brief break, we'll talk about our grammar of the week. back for our grammar of the week, which of course is perfect passive participles. We saw a number of participles in the opening lines of the Aeneid. We saw profugus, yactatis, and passus. Well, of course, passus is a perfect active participle because it comes from a deponent, but the same idea applies. Generally speaking, verbs have four principal parts, except for deponents, which look passive but translate active and have three principal parts. The fourth principal part of most of these verbs is the perfect passive participle. It's the form that generally ends with a US or a UM in a dictionary ending. This form is how we say that the action has happened in the past to the subject. Again, the exception to this is the perfect active participle from deponents that look passive and translate active, so it flippy flops it and the action happened in the past, but the subject was doing the action. In either event, this is a way for Virgil and other Latin writers and speakers to convey a lot of information that takes a number of words for us to convey in English. Generally, we'll translate perfect passive participles as having been verbed. So you can already see we're adding more words in English than are necessary in Latin. Participles are verbal adjectives, meaning they're adjectives that come from verbs. Perfect passive participles, as well as present active participles, will often pop up in the Aeneid and pretty much serve as verbs to keep the action going until we reach another main verb. So be ready to look out for perfect passive participles as we move forward. <laughs> 